When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. My name is Zach Riddle. I'm here with Laura Heck. We are super excited because a few weeks ago, we got to interview Steph Katudal. She's a fascinating lady. Her, her last name is French. It's a couple of different ways to pronounce it, but she is an author and she has a brand new memoir that comes out today, May 30th, 2023. It's a memoir and it's called Everything All at Once. It's absolutely fascinating. Part of Steph's story is that she is married to an extreme endurance athlete. So we talked to her quite a bit about how does endurance work in a relationship and what is it like to be a part of parenting and relating and under some extreme situations, some extreme circumstances. She has a lot of very interesting views on relationships. Uh, I think once you hear from her, you'll want to get to know her better. Follow her on Instagram, pick up her book, especially if you're looking for uh, a nice kind of summer reflective read. Um, I, I highly recommend it. But, uh, but again, you don't have to take it from me. This is a very cool conversation. Stick around. I came across your writing because that was the only thing we had to access when Rivs was going with, through what he was going through. And I just remember being like, holy smokes, this woman is so talented. And just reading your writing, I just really connected with it. And I looked forward to hearing the updates and what was going on for you and how you wrote is kind of amazing. And I kept pinging Zach. I was like, you have to read her style of writing because Zach is an author as well. So that's how we have you. Um, I've read the book. I have passed it on to friends. Don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> I, I sold it. I, I, it on, you know, <laughs> I photocopied and then uploaded it to the internet. <laughs> every, every third page says not for sale. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That's so nice. Thanks guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually had one question that, well, okay, no, I'm going to back up. Okay. Wait, but hold on. Okay. Pretend like I'm a, a complete idiot. Yes. Like, who are you? Okay. Like, there you go. Name, Steph. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a good question. Who am I? I mean, um, I've always written always. That's all I've ever wanted to do. But, um, I had my first daughter two months into grad school where I was going to school to, for journalism, for, um, conflict journalism. Mm. And so I had her, I was in Costa Rica at the United Nations school there. And as soon as I had her, I was like, 
wait, I want to stay home. And that was so surprising to me because mm-hmm. I always thought I'd just solely be a career person. And so I put writing on the back burner for a long, long, long time. Um, and then I started a blog, which is super cute. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and it got quite a lot of traction. It was about being married to an endurance athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the depth of my writing didn't really like emerge until ribs got sick and it cracked mm-hmm. something open inside of me. And all of a sudden all this emotion was just flowing out of me. And the only way that I could make sense of it was to write. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so it just made sense to continue writing. So, okay. A few things you told us before, but I want you to tell us again, uh, what is your last name? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So catch in English and catch in French. Cause you're French, but you're also Canadian, which you can hear. I'm hearing you talking. Yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. Really? There's Canada. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I've lived so. in the U S for 20 years now, but yeah, I think some people can pick up on it. So oh, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Okay. On it. On it. And yeah. Um, I'm a metaphor guy. I love metaphor. All of my questions today would be about what is it like to be married to an endurance athlete? Not because I'm so interested in that story or, but like people talk about this metaphor, like marriage is a marathon, not a, mm-hmm. not a sprint. And I actually hate it. I think it's a poor metaphor because it's not a marathon. Marathon's over in 26 miles. You're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, something to look halfway forward there. To. <laughs> I'm halfway there. Like yeah. I'm, I'm the 20, 20, 20 miles. I got six to go. Like I'm good. But that's not what marriage is at all. Marriage is like, it's running, it's just running. Yeah. It's running until you die or you get divorced. So I would love to know your thoughts in some on that. Like, what is, what does that mean? You were writing about what it's like to be married to an endurance athlete. Mm. Yeah, there are a lot of, quirks. I mean, endurance athletes are quirky people, you know, and they run Mm -hmm. because they, that's the only way that they can metabolize their emotions. Just like, Mm -hmm. that's why I write, you know, and I truly think Mm -hmm. that, and it's, that's the case for ribs. And I think that it takes a lot of patience and understanding because I mean, I was, I was lucky in that ribs athleticism paid the bills. So it wasn't just a hobby. So it was easier for me to be like, Oh sure. You need to run six hours today. Right. You know, go ahead. And yeah. Yeah. So, but (laughs) because it's making money, but before um, when we were both students and he was trying to make it as an athlete, I definitely did feel like some resentment towards the sport because it was taking time away from, from us and from kids and stuff. But he always told me, he's like, this is an investment Hmm. thinking of it as an investment for the future and it will pay off one day. And I just had to trust him. And I did, even though I had my, you know, little fits here and there about it. But, uh, I remember when he was sick, I was thinking, Oh my gosh, he was right. It paid off. Like Hmm. not that anyone could foresee him being sick, but the doctors all kind of said that one of the main reasons he survived is because of his extreme fitness Yeah, Mm. and that most people wouldn't have been able to endure what he did. And Mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, I, I see, it's hard to see the big picture when you're so consumed with the day, the daily grind and you want to be appreciated and you're, you know, feel taken for granted. But then when you zoom out and see the big picture, it's just like, wow, I'm so glad Mm -hmm. I didn't trust and put in the time because it did pay off. Yeah. That's really fascinating just even to think about like, there's a thing called an endurance athlete, but there's a thing called an endurance person. Like his, in, okay. he endured an illness, not simply a race. Like that's fas- fascinating. And I just, I guess I'll, I'll take yeah. a backseat here in a second, but I'm, I'm just fascinated by this notion of what, what endurance means, particularly right. in a relationship. So that that's where my 
Mm-hmm. That's where my curiosity is right now. Mm-hmm. I okay. I have multiple thoughts. You you were saying talking about how it paid off, and I the other thing that came to mind was like not only did he have like this lung capacity that far exceeds anybody else's ability to metabolize like oxygen in his body and turn it over. I mean that was incredible to hear. And kind of the aha, right? Like, I think we were all on our edge of our seats thinking that he, this, he's not going to make it and had no hope um, that he wasn't going to make it. And, and maybe you were the only one that had hope and continued to hold hope for him and for you. But the other piece of it's going to pay off is the community that was built and how you had access to the care at such a timely moment. And what you had mentioned was it being like a stranger to you, but somebody who knew of ribs because of his own journey and becoming an endurance athlete, reaching out to you and really like setting you up with an incredible team. Were you in Arizona with that team or? Yeah, we, well, we started in Flagstaff. That's where, um, but yeah, and then then we were in Phoenix. Transferred over for Transferred the ECMO. To, yeah, for the ECMO. Yeah, because the Flagstaff Hospital couldn't accommodate what he, you know, what he needed. But yeah, the community, it was, I mean, I was blown away. And I never, ever took for granted the privilege that we had because I, I did feel guilty because there were so many people around the world that were in the ICU suffering alone and didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, the, the community or the, you know, just the resources that, I was able to access because of who Ribs was and his following. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I would do it over and over again because it saved his life. Um, yeah. but it really was the community that saved his life because he would have never gotten out of that Flagstaff hospital had the people online rallied together to find him somewhere to be treated, you know? Mm-hmm. And that to me is just like, ugh, it's just how do you repay that debt? You know what I mean? It's like you, everyone saved him. <laughs> Mm-hmm. truly, truly incredible. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and not only that, but the love that I, logistics, of course, but the love that I was feeling throughout that journey and the support that I had from, of course, my family and my friends, but from people who didn't know me and um, just sending gifts and sending kind words and mm-hmm. messages and sending mm-hmm. money to take the girls out for our daughters out for dinner, just little things like that, mm-hmm. that I mean, yeah. And it's funny because Ribs always thought that people just liked him because, you know, he has abs and a cool beard and <laughs> look, he looks good when he's running. He really did think that people just loved the aesthetic of who he was. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, part of why I wanted him to survive, I mean, there was a hundred million reasons, but part of it, mm-hmm. like, I want you to wake up and see people love you because of who you are, not because you're, right. you know, a glistening abs running through the forest. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you're what people are connecting to. And I, I wanted yeah. to see that. Yeah. You, Zach, were talking about endurance and like to be married and endure marriage. But I have been thinking about you, Steph, as enduring and what you've gone through over a life course that started off with your brother, your dad, and just what it's been like for you to endure. That's an interesting metaphor of an endurance athlete. Like you are an endurance woman. Yeah. Um, can you share a little bit about just the progression of what cancer has been a part of your life? And um, a lot of people, we just keep talking like they're going like they to know. Sorry, sorry you're going to have to read the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. You go. I would love for you to give just like a little snippet, a sneak peek as to why we're talking about enduring and what you have gone through. Mm. 
Yeah. So when I was six years old and, um, my little brother was three and he was diagnosed with leukemia with ALL leukemia. And so he was in and out of the hospital with on treatment for about three years. And then I think he was when he was seven, that he was officially in remission. And then it was three years later that my father was diagnosed with adenocarcinoma of the lungs, which is a non-smoking related cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was stage four by the time they found it because he was also, um, super hit fit and healthy and he was a marathon runner too and did triathlons and I have a type. I wonder why. Um, and, uh, and so he died a year later and then it was almost exactly 20 years later that ribs, my husband was diagnosed with um, a different kind of lung cancer, but another non-cancer related, I mean, non-smoking related cancer. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I do. It's funny. I, I kind of com- compartmentalize those, those experiences, I think probably just to, for my own mental health. No <laughs> when I, when I was writing the book and had to map it all out, I realized how much cancer had truly been the yeah. underlying theory, like theme of my whole life. And mm-hmm. I remember I had a moment where I was almost grateful. And this is, this is like, I know sensitive, grateful that I had been through what I had with my brother and my father, mm-hmm. because I feel like it really equipped me to be able to deal with what was happening to ribs with a bigger perspective and, you know, yeah. kind of like feeling like, well, this isn't my first rodeo. <laughs> like it almost mm-hmm. felt comfortable in a very weird, strange way. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just looking, yeah, for endurance, it's like, I guess, yeah, I have endured. Um, but I'm Mm -hmm. also extremely lucky. Uh, and I, I try to maintain that kind of frame of mind in all of it, that I'm just very, very lucky to be where I am and to have ribs alive and my little brother alive and, you know? Yeah. Wow. I, uh, I mean, there's a lot of aspects as a therapist, as I'm reading through the book and I'm like, Oh my gosh, what's going on with the girls? Like you have three Mm. little people in your lives. Congratulations, by the way, I think boys are the worst. I have two daughters and I'm so, so happy. So we fight over this. I have a boy, uh, an eight year old and he's amazing. And I would never be able to do girls. I'm so not girly that it would be very hard to be girly for a girl. My girls aren't that girly though, to be fair. My oldest Harper is as androgynous as it gets. Uh, yeah. So I feel like I've, I've got a good mix in there. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. 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 Uh, tell me about, I'm really curious about your relationship with your mom now, because there's this such an interesting dynamic that occurred where you were the daughter of your mom Mm -hmm. while she was losing your dad Mm -hmm. and having to be a mom and a caretaker and all of those things. And then 20 years later, now you are in the shoes that your mom was in. I'm just like, man, how does that shift your relationship with your mom and your perspective? Like, did you guys have some like deep cries, some come to Jesus moments? (laughs) Yeah. Well, my mom is like the epitome of British stoicism. She is Mm -hmm. from England. She's just keep calm, carry on not all mm-hmm. about emotions at all. Um, yeah. and so we've always been close. I mean, that's not true in adulthood. We've been close and we've had a great yeah. relationship, but I was a really 
nasty, selfish teenager um, in the wake of mm-hmm. my yeah. death. I was angry and I, I took it out. Yeah. I recognize that. I recognize those chapters because, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I've got two daughters. They're 16 yes, and 20. And I was like, mm, no, that one. I got, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I... I didn't, but because we had been friendly in adulthood, I didn't feel like there was anything to heal until I realized that there was. And mm-hmm. I, I remember the moment that it first hit me, um, was Rivs, um, was in the hospital and I got a call at midnight from an ICU doctor saying that his lungs were failing and he couldn't breathe on his own and they were going to sedate him and put him on a ventilator. Mm-hmm. And my mom had just flown in that morning um, to help me care for our daughters. And I hung up the phone and I ran straight for her bedroom and um, I, you know, burst through her door and she sat up in bed and I was hit with this knowing that she knows what I feel like. Like she, my mom is the only person in my life right now that Mm. understands exactly what I'm feeling right Mm. now. And it was this crazy moment because I had never really contemplated the fact that she had lost her husband. I know that sounds really weird, but Mm -hmm. I was so consumed in my grief as a child that I never took the time to think about how she had lost the love of her life. Like he really was Mm -hmm. the love of her life. She's never dated. She's, you know, 25 years later, she's still single. And, um, and so I had this moment and it was like this thought that came up was we are both wives of breathless husbands that was like a thought that just was we and and there's something yeah I know and and um and then she she continued to she lived with me for nine months to help take care of the girls along with Riv's mother mother and during that time there was all these little epiphanies about how she had done the impossible of raising four kids through grief and I never realized how impossible that is until I was confronted with having to do it possibly myself and just feeling yeah. like you, there's no way, how do you do it? And she did it. And so I think that it, I had this beautiful, just, I, I, I was just in awe of her. I've always thought she was an incredible woman, but there was this mm-hmm. new awe and respect that I had for her and thinking, how did you do it with such grace? And yeah. And I think also in turn, she started she saw me as someone that understood what she had been through and she had never had mm-hmm. that in her life either. And so, yeah, there was so many layers to mm-hmm. this and um, yeah, it was just a truly beautiful kind of like full circle come, you know, moment. Yeah. Moments. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's interesting to hear you talk about how you were so consumed with your grief as a child that you never had the opportunity to kind of step outside and realize that your mom was carrying mm-hmm. it for all of you. And at the same time, lost the love of her life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, of course, of course you couldn't stand outside of your grief. Like how could you possibly stand outside of your grief or you know, your mom, not really, maybe she wasn't able to be there for you guys and get to your level of what it's like to lose your father, because maybe she wasn't able to stand outside of her grief. Mm-hmm. It just makes, makes a lot of sense, but it is quite lovely to see that just that, like you said, that it comes full circle. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think yeah. also like you saying that it, it makes me have more, um, forgiveness and allowance for my own kids because mm-hmm. I've been them too. You know, I've been a child of a sick father, totally. you know, not only a sick father, but a super fit, healthy, kind of like Superman father who quickly mm-hmm. declines. And so 
it's like almost like through raising them, I forgave myself and for the actions that I, for how reckless I was as a teenager, Mm -hmm. because I look at my kids and I'm like, you also have an impossible task. And, Mm -hmm. and so it, I think it allows me to hopefully be just allow them to experience all the emotions that they need to, the anger, whatever they're feeling, it's valid. And it's like, I get you. I see you. I've been there, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's again, another layer of this full circle kind of thing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, Zach, I'm sure you have questions. I will steamroll this interview if you don't jump in. Well, it's a little bit. I mean, I think I think there's a what I think what you're describing is something that people need to get better at. And I don't I don't mean to say, hey, people need to get better at this, but sometimes they just don't have the opportunity. But it's the idea of somehow remembering that maybe you're not always the protagonist of the story. Mm-hmm. Like maybe there's, maybe you're a supporting character or maybe you're some, so it's really easy when we get locked into the protagonist mode that we forget to, to have empathy for other people's experience. So that's cool to see unfold in the book, but there's also this other thing that I'm interested in hearing your reflections on, which is, I don't, I don't know if it's a major shift, but it's certainly a, a major shift in my, my world, which is people recognizing and empathizing how, how critical it is to grapple with your own personal trauma. Like you, you had, you've got it coming and going from different directions. And I guess, have you formed a theory of trauma that makes sense for you or that helps you make sense for you, whether it's capital T or lowercase T trauma that you kind of have come to terms with? Well, I think that, I mean, it's gone through a lot of changes over the years and based on my life experiences. But what I've come to find is that there's no there's no inherent meaning to trauma. Like there's no reason. Mm. I don't think everything happens for a reason. I truly Mm. don't. And I, I think that it's fine that people do. That's totally fine. But I think that what was really helpful for me was to reframe trauma and make it have meaning for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, like looking back on my father and my brother's illness, I don't think it happened for Mm. a reason, but I could ascribe meaning to it by, Mm -hmm seeing what I learned through it. And same with ribs. I don't think he got sick for a reason, but I found a lot of comfort in trying to find meaning in it for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to heal. I really healed from my childhood grief through ribs sickness, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to grow to just kind of be cracked open to love And I don't think I would have been able to do that had I not been through what I did. So the trauma itself maybe isn't, it doesn't have meaning itself, but the lessons that you learn from it, I think that's meaningful if you choose to Mm -hmm. ascribe meaning to those things, you know? Yeah, I get it. So, but I mean, I think you're not wrong that, that the idea that trauma is, 
And so what does it mean for me? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like that seems to be the, like the, the worthy work, which I think is evident in the way that you write and work that out really again, starting from reflections on being a teenager all the way through becoming, you mm-hmm. know, your current version of yourself. Yeah. And I also think that there were moments and this is important because I remember as a teenager, when my, when people would say, try to give meaning to my dad's death, I would be Mm -hmm. really angry. I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. there was meaning to that. You know, what purpose Mm -hmm. is there other than do tell, you know, (laughs) Um, because there was moments in Riv's illness. um, Like when he was waking up from his um, sedation from the coma Mm -hmm. and he was, he had severe ICU delirium and it was, by far the hardest part of the entire process because he would, he was angry and in pain and it was just horrible. And I remember thinking, okay, there's no beauty here. There's no meaning here. And that's okay. That's okay Mm -hmm. to just sit with it and let it be horrible and let it be sad. And you don't have to put a bow on this, you know? And so maybe if you look at the entire experience, you could find meaning, but there's moments where the, it just sucks and it just, mm-hmm. you have to allow it to just suck, you know? And I think mm-hmm. that's important too, to give yourself and other people the ability to just sit in the the suckiness of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you just mentioned something where you were talking about Riv's trauma going through that cracked open sort of the healing process for you to be able to heal from your teenage trauma. And we just got off uh, an interview talking about the use of psychedelics to crack open like unstuckness. And I would love to talk (laughs) to you about that personal experience of what, how, how you have used it, what has been on the other side of it, just kind of understanding, because I want folks to hear that there are many ways Mm. to be able to heal, transform, get unstuck, whatever. And this is one avenue that I think many people are very curious about. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear your experience. Yeah. I, it's funny, if we had done this three years ago, I would have been a totally different conversation. I was a skeptic. <laughs> I, I, the only experience I had with psychedelics was using them recreationally, recklessly as a teenager, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was yeah. what I thought of psychedelics. And then about six months before um, Ribs got sick, my friend kind of encouraged me to do a mushroom journey. That's what it's called. So mm-hmm. you basically take five grams, a hero dose of psilocybin with a medicine guide and then see what happens. And I think because of what had happened to my father and, um, I had been raised religious. And so I had been raised to believe in prayer and faith and all these things that I felt betrayed me. So I had turned my Mm. back on, um, any form of spirituality 20 years earlier, Mm. but I had read and heard that a lot of people have these transcendental spiritual encounters on psychedelics. Mm. But I was like, that's not going to be me. No way. That's, you know, I'm an atheist that doesn't exist. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. and I remember, um, so the first 30 minutes, it was the typical me giggling and everyone turned into a cartoon and I, uh, you know, <laughs> I was like watching my hand trail and we were just, I was just like, this is awesome. But then it really hit me and mm-hmm. I had to be laid down. I forgot who I was, where I was. I forgot how I'd gotten to where I was. I was, I felt like I was an infinite explosion <laughs> of consciousness, just traveling through time and space. And it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. And it was like, I couldn't pull the pieces in. And the only thing that 
tethered me to anything. I thought I was dying. Um, was this feeling of we're all connected in this infinite whole, like all mm. of my fragmented pieces are connected to everybody else's. And, mm-hmm. and that kind of led me to see in an instant that I had been wrong, that, that there's so much more to reality than what, what I see before me, you know, I had been so science empirical based evidence-based thinking, um, because I'd been so burned by spirituality. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh my gosh, I, everything is possible there's so much more than what's before us. And, and then also feeling that what was tethering me to existence was love. And that was, a, mm. it wasn't even a feeling. It was like a knowing, like a memory that I was having that mm-hmm. this love is infinite and eternal. And so that means that there must be something bigger than me, you know? Yeah. And that was for me, I ended the night hugging a potted plant. (laughs) (laughs) So once I was able to like stand up and walk around and, oh, another important thing that I learned was to let go. I had been trying to like hold on to my ego, like my consciousness Mm -hmm. so hard because I was so afraid of falling apart. I was so afraid. I'd been like holding myself together for 20 years, compartmentalizing my feelings and like, you know, subduing trauma. And all of a sudden I was just like, you need to let go. And once I did, I was able to fully experience all Hmm. the emotions, everything all at once. I I told myself I wasn't going to say that, but (laughs) (laughs) it's the title of the book. Yeah. Um, But then when I was able to kind of put the pieces back together, hugging this plant, the plant embodied God or goddess or whatever. And uh, she, the plant basically told me that love is God. You are love and everything you need is inside you, you know, and Mm. those platitudes, they sound so cliched, but it was so when you experience it on that level, Mm. it doesn't become a platitude. It's, it's a truth, like an absolute Mm -hmm. truth. And so Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely the most transformative experience of my whole life in those four hours, you know? Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was the image that you had. I mean, just I don't even know if you've written about this, but like of you trying to hold on, keep yourself together, like being a whole piece. But then you said that you were fragmented. You Mm -hmm. felt like you were fragmented. And the only thing that was tethering you was your fragmented pieces tethered to other people's fragmented Mm -hmm. pieces. Mm -hmm. And that I was I mean, I'm just kind of in awe of just the thought of that, that you don't have to be whole Mm -hmm. to be connected to other people. We are all fragmented pieces and the only thing that keeps us together is love mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah I mean, drop by stuff <laughs> no all by you <laughs> reframing it <It's> true. that's <laughs> that it really that's that is what it felt like though and and when I was that those fragmented pieces it was because I was feeling it all you know I wasn't mm-hmm. trying to tiptoe around the way I was feeling I was just like allowing all of it and and I think that a lot, it's like, yeah, we're all, we're all broken and we're all just moving mm-hmm. forward in the way that we can. And, um, I think that's strength, you know, and that's that, yeah, yeah I, yeah, it was hmm. truly. And I also think that had I not had that experience, I don't think I would have been able to, um, to approach Riv's illness and sedation, especially, um, yeah. the way that I had, because, I really was, I really didn't believe in any form of spirit, spirituality, afterlife. I was a total mm-hmm. existentialist and, and that experience changed 
my entire cosmology. And so when Rivs was sedated, it was because of that experience that I knew that there was something other than his body fighting and existing and mm-hmm. something other than his body that I could connect with. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have been able or would have even like entertained that idea had I not done the the mushroom journey. So yeah. I, I, in, even in the moment, I was like, I'm so glad I did that because now I realize that everything is possible, that I don't mm-hmm. have any answers, but everything is possible. And so he could be here and I could connect to him even when he, mm-hmm. you know. Is there a photo of you oh. hugging the potted plant? Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Can we do a recreation? <laughs> I think I was stroking its leaves too. I, it was, she, it was she, she was a she. Uh-huh. Okay. There was a gender. <laughs> Definitely a she. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, she was just so powerful. She was purple. <laughs> Not really, but you know. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. I'm so glad I asked. Yeah. I, we're going to have so many people writing to us. They're like, wow, two episodes in a row talking about these mushroom trips, Laura. Like, well, I don't know what you're pushing here, sister, but we're on board. <laughs> oh, I feel like there, the stigma is definitely slowly eroding, but mm-hmm. it's still there, you know? And I think, but if you read the research, there's so much. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it really is. Hopefully. I had a, I had a client last week and they, I hadn't talked to them in a little while. And I was like, how are things going? He's like, it's going really great. And I was like, why? He goes, well, you're going to need to sit down. <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, okay. I am sitting down. He goes, I did an ayahuasca thing. Oh. And I was like, dude, I don't, I don't need to sit down. But like, he was so worried about what I was going to think. <laughs> right. Like, so, yeah. Um, I know. And anyway. that's why I'm like, I, that's why it was made it a point to make it a big part of my book because mm-hmm. I didn't want to, I didn't want to minimize the effect that it had on me. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't want to, I, I wanted to be clear that it's not like I've believed in this all my life and it was just another part of my journey. It's like, no, I was a skeptic. I didn't believe that I would be transformed. And then I was, and it, it was turns a, out people can change. Yeah, exactly. It did. It, <laughs> yeah. it, it did. It cracked. That's what I, I feel I, like. It's a visceral feeling of like being cracked open to that's how it felt. Yeah. Mm, Dang. Yeah. Zach, do you have any other questions? I want to be respectful. Yeah. I got the money question. I want to know. I, uh, I, um, what, what is the secret to a happy, healthy relationship? That is a good, hmm, well, that is a good, good question. I find this is, it. This is your, this is your, this is where you go. This is where you <laughs> drive it home. <laughs> oh, not that I have anything figured out. Um, but <laughs> I feel like, I mean, just appreciation. That's what I've come to find is since ribs, um, you know, has been in recovery. It feels like we appreciate each other. We fought so hard to be able to maintain the life that we maybe once used to bicker about or, you know, argue about school drop-offs and all the the little things Mm -hmm. that because the baseline of appreciation maybe wasn't as solid as it could have been. Mm -hmm. Now that we truly appreciate what we have um, in a very like deep, deep way, the surface issues are less important. And, you know, we still have our little, you know, like bickers about the silly mundane things, but because mm-hmm. the baseline, we know we appreciate each other and we, we don't take each other for granted in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the, the kind of the, the surface issues don't, don't 
turn into the bigger issues anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's amazing what like a near death experience will do for you in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. And also just appreciating the, the now, like again, appreciating that we could wake up and have coffee together and wow, how mm-hmm. amazing is that? Because when he was sick, I, that's all I longed for. I didn't, I wasn't wishing that we could go on another trip to Japan or like go mm-hmm. around the world. I wanted to, watch shows in bed with him at night. And like, those are the things that I missed. And so those are the things that I hope I never take for granted anymore because yeah, you, I mean, it's again, another cliche that you don't know what you lose, have until you, you know, faced with possibly losing it. Mm Yeah. And all of these platitudes became so real when it's like, no, it's true. I took a lot for granted probably. And I'm sure he Mm -hmm. did too. And we try not to anymore. You know, when, uh, did you guys ever have this experience when you fall in love for the first time or like you have your first kiss and then you listen to some like Taylor Swift song and you're like, oh my gosh, now I understand. Now I know what she's talking about. Do you listen to songs ever where it's like the loss of someone or just like pain and you're like, oh, now this makes sense. Now I can see where they're coming from. Yeah. Well, I I mean, all the time when music was, I listened to music all the time when Rivs was sick. And so there's certain songs that like, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it and I'll remember exactly Mm -hmm. where I was, what Rivs was doing medically. And, and like, it'll take me right back there. But like you said, it's a good point. It's like, I think that pain is the great, one of the greatest intercessors of empathy. Like Mm. the, when you felt pain and suffering, it's like you can connect with people on, on a totally different level. And so just like you said, like certain lyrics that didn't resonate now Mm -hmm. resonate because you've been there yourself. And Mm -hmm. I, I also feel like I felt more connected to humanity during that time than I'd ever Mm -hmm. been in my whole life because it's like, I was feeling it all and allowing myself to feel it all. And I, I'm not that way anymore because I think it's impossible to live that raw your whole life. Yeah. Like, oh no, it, it all hurts. It all, I feel it yes. all. And it's, it's not sustainable, you know, but right. it was a beautiful time to feel that connected to this universal suffering. You know what I mean? And it sounds weird, but wow. it was, there was a beauty to it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It just, it's not sustainable to live there all the time. <laughs> no, I don't recommend it for yeah. sure. <laughs> Um, okay. So here's what I want. Your book is coming out on May 30th. Mm-hmm. Uh, the title, everything all at once by Steph, <laughs> Steph, 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 and then Katudal. see, Kachatel. Yeah. Did I say it right? Yeah. Katudal. You could say Katudal. Katudal. Yeah. Okay. We're saying it. We're saying it right now. We are saying it. Um, where else can people find you? Like if they want to buy the book or if they want to follow your writings or just like know more about you, where do we send them? Um, so I am still on Instagram, Steph underscore outside. I, I like to be outside, I guess. I don't know. That was my handle from a long time ago. So that's still my handle mm-hmm. Steph underscore outside. That's where I post a lot of just my daily, um, well, not even daily, probably like monthly thoughts and writing. Um, mm-hmm. it's just a good, I just like putting out there what I feel. And then if people resonate with it, that's awesome. And if not, then that's yeah. fine. Um, you still have then, your cute blog. I yeah, talk, well, blog. you can find it. I don't, I haven't blogged on it in, you know, maybe five or six years, but, uh, it's, yeah, that's solely about, um, being a, a white, it's called wife of an endurance athlete. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's it about? Oh no, it's, no, sorry. It's not, it's called, 
<laughs> it's actually even better. It's Chronicles of an Endurance Athlete's Wife. Okay. Uh-huh. Straight to the point. And it's all these like anecdotes of me, you know, all the weird quirks of being married to an endurance athlete, like yeah. sweaty socks and all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. you know, there's humor to it. No humor in my book, which is, I wish I had added more levity to it, but I didn't, but there's a lot of humor in the, in the blog. Um, and then I have a website, stephcatchedal.com. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, taking time. I cannot wait for people to read this and then come back and say, oh my gosh, Laura, thank you so much for having Steph on the podcast. Cause I just wanted people to become aware of your writing. It's a, it's a beautiful story. And that story is your life, but it is written in a way where I'm like, it is poetry to read. It is really quite lovely. So thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your gift with the universe. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's hard to bear your soul and then let people, you know, criticize it or take it away, you know. So I uh, thank you so much for saying that. I yeah, I adore it. Thank you. Zach, shall we land this plane? Yeah, I think it's all good. Thank you, Steph. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. So Steph's book, Everything All at Once, a memoir, um, it comes out May 30th, which is today, if you are listening on the day that this gets released. So check it out, buy your copy, find her on Instagram, do whatever you can do to support Steph. She has been through amazing things um, and she shared her journey with us. And I'm always appreciative of just learning and having people be so raw and vulnerable and sharing their story. So thank you to Steph for coming on the podcast. Thank you for all of your time and attention, making the relationship better today than it was yesterday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.